You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. The question is, Parshas Lech Lecha begins with Hashem's instructions to Avraham to travel to Eretz Yisrael where he was. And we call this one of the ten tests of Avram, one of the Asar Nisyonas. According to the Rambam, this is actually test number one. And the problem with this test is if I tell you, go to this place, and if you go there, you will make a million dollars, I will go. If I say to you, I'm going to test you. If you play these numbers on the lottery, you'll win. It's not much of a test. So here Hashem offers Avraham Avinu, if you follow this, here are all the things that are going to happen. Shouldn't that detract from the test? That's the famous question that everyone asks. And the Sfasemis is going to have a unique way of resolving this answer, uh, resolving this question. So if you look on page 45, in the left column, Tafresh Lamet Ches, which is 1878, the Medrash, quoting the Medrash, Shimi Bas, this is the Medrash quotes a verse, listen my daughter, and the Medrash says, Moshal, it gives a parable, of Bira Dolekes, a burning building, the Afoscha Ba'olam, that Hashem is going to publicize Avram in order to make him famous. He's assuming you're familiar with this Medrash. Basically, the Medrash is that all these people walking by the building, nobody notices anything. Then Avram Avinu is the first one to notice that there is someone in the building. And, uh, and Hashem says, because you're the first one to notice, we're going to do this through you. And in the same way, um, Avram Avinu is the first one to recognize Hashem. And so Hashem says, this is the person who I'm going to build my nation from. Pirish. So he explains. Ki Avram Avinu Tama. Avram Avinu's great question was, Why does Hashem leave bad people in the world who will destroy his world? That's a great question. Why does Hashem allow bad people to do bad things? And there are a lot of bad people who are doing a lot of bad things. And we've, we've discussed this in this class, so I'll use this example again. You know, we, we, we face this question all the time. I hear this question so often, which is, um, you know, why did God bring the Holocaust? That's a, it's a fair question, but it's not worded correctly. Right? People have free will. God grants free will. God, uh, bad people do bad things. These were monsters who committed the worst of all crimes. And it happened. Now, why didn't God intervene is a different question. And that's a better question. That requires a whole other class. But we have to make sure we ask the question correctly. But he's saying that that was Avram Avinu's question, which is why does God allow there to be so many wicked people in the world? I don't know if you're going to like this answer. Let me tell you what he says. And the answer to Avraham is, You, Avraham, the world survives because of you. 
So why were wicked people created? To make you better. He's going to clarify it a bit, because at first glance this seems uncomfortable. But the first line is that the reason why there's bad people in the world is to make the good people look good. So he explains... And what I mean by that is that if there's no challenges, if there's no option for evil, if there's no success for evil, then there could be no free will to choose good. That's why Hashem says, and forget your people. Meaning that there has to be that good things happen to very bad people Otherwise, they wouldn't be very bad people. And if they wouldn't be very bad people, there would be no real free will. If everything is good, why do we even need free will? Because real good is when I choose good. Right, but there's two levels of good. There's good which I get, um, I just receive, I'm a recipient of that good. That's good, but not good enough. There's a greater good, which is where I earn my good. And God wants to give us the greater good. So the greater good requires free will. And he's adding free will requires not only the existence of evil, but free will requires the success of evil. And that's a, but, but you're right, this is based on the uh, assumption that it's a greater good to earn the good than it is to just do good, because otherwise God could have just created a world in the Garden of Eden, no choice of the Eitz Adas, and live happily ever after. But that, that, for, for Hashem, that wasn't good enough. Are there no boundary conditions on evil? So that, that's a good question. How far can they go? And the answer is there, God has this, God had this limit. So, you know, 1945 was it. And... Um, the majority of Jews did survive. So there was a limit for how long God was going to allow the Germans to play that game. But it went pretty far, so it's not like only 100,000 people died and then God stepped in. And I say, only 100,000. That would still have been a terrible tragedy, but it wouldn't have been uh, 6 million, which is an unimaginable number. So the people that are doing this evil, and then we have the evil like the Holocaust, is it evil or is it just well, when we say everything's for the good, doesn't mean that people who sin aren't sinning. It means that God has a purpose and a calculation for everything, and everything works out within God's divine system. But the people are doing evil, and they are choosing evil. I thought that everything's for the better means is that if something happens to you that you have no control over, then it's for the better. It's better for you, but we're not talking about it. We're talking about the people who are doing the thing. They're doing a bad thing. So he's saying... Somebody kills another person, and if that turns out to be better for the person that was killed, he didn't really do evil, he did what we think is evil. No, he did evil. He did evil. There's not a contradiction that way. You can do evil and still be for the good. Right? Meaning, I can, I can steal money from you. I can go into your pocket and steal your money, and then 
um, two minutes later, someone tries to mug you, you don't have a wallet on you, so they let you go, and had you had money, and they wouldn't have wanted witnesses, they may have done... So I, I committed a sin, and at the same time, it was to your benefit. doesn't make it less of a sin on my part. There, I mean, I know you don't want to prolong this discussion, but the, you can't say the Holocaust was an individual person-for-person thing. There's no way you could ever say that. There's, there's little kids, you know, who were, you know... No, you, you're absolutely so, right. So you can you're, you're making it seem, I think, like the, the people who were destroyed were, were evil or whatever. But no, no, no. The people who did the destruction, okay. they were evil. The people who did the killing, they were evil. The people who were killed were not evil. They were righteous people. And the question is, well, how does God allow such wicked people to hurt such righteous people? And the answer is free will that the free will of the wicked people, and that God has to allow free will to allow you to do evil to a certain point of success, otherwise there would be no free will. And that, that's a scary thought, but that's, that's, how, he's, that's how he's learning this. Okay. Meaning that the king should see your, your beauty, meaning that this is all in order to bring out the greatness of who Avram Avinu is, in order for there to be truly righteous people in the world, you have to have, like we're saying, wickedness and success for the wicked. And that extra pleasure, so to speak, that Hashem gets from the righteous, that even though they see evil, and they have the same options for evil, and they see the success of evil, Kishoshana ben hachochim, where the tzaddik becomes the rose among the thorns. Okay, now here is the Svasem is being really bold, so bear with me here. That pleasure that God gets gives life to the wicked. Meaning, the wicked actually fulfill God's will by making the tzaddik allow allowing the tzaddik to have a choice. I mean, this, is, this is a deep idea. So let's say Haman. Let's use an example of Haman because he's a little further away. Haman decides he's going to get all the Jewish people to worship idols. He gets Achashverosh to decree that everyone has to bow to him. He carries a big idol on his chest and everyone that walks by bows down to him. He's trying to get everyone to sin. Every Jew bowed down, they made some kind, except for Mordechai. Mordechai refuses to bow down, and he now becomes the Shoshana ben Achochim, the rose amongst the thorns. So he's saying, the only reason why Haman is alive, his existence is defined as his counterbalance of Mordechai, to allow Mordechai to be a greater tzaddik, that actually sustains, so meaning, when Avraham Avinu says to Hashem, why are you allowing these wicked people to live in the world, according to the Tzvah as Hashem says to Avraham, because of you, you're keeping them alive. You, by being the rose amongst the thorns, in order for it to be the rose amongst the thorns, which makes the rose even more beautiful, there have to be thorns, so you, the rose, are keeping the thorns alive. We know that Avraham is going to be the fixing of the world, or the beginning of the fixing of the world. That's why he, he's the first one to say, 
Kone Shemayim Va'aretz, Kel Elyon, Kone Shemayim Va'aretz, that Hashem is the supernal God who owns heaven and earth. He's the beginning of the fixing. Lo, Hashem says to him, I will make you into a great nation. And we asked before, what was the test? Hashem promises him that, that if you go to Israel, all these great things will happen. Those who bless you, I will bless. Why does he promise this to him? He would have done these things even without the promise. He would have gone to Israel without the promise. If anything... This ruins the test by telling Avram, if you go to Eretz Yisrael, you're going to get all these rewards. Avaratza lahodio, he was answering him. Sheyeda, you should know, ki akol boy, it all depends on you. Shehu hatzad, you're the righteous one. Shakol mezvarchim ba'avuro, everyone is blessed because of you. Meaning like this. Ready for this? Because this is what this Sasemis is saying. If someone is righteous, let's make up numbers, if someone is a tzaddik on level 50, there will be success for the wicked on level 50. If the tzaddik grows in his righteousness and becomes a bigger tzaddik, there needs to be an equivalent counterbalance. He will then adjust that line and allow the wicked to have, if he's 60 righteous, he's moved up 10, then the, a, a wickedness of 60 will now be able to have a success which will be a greater success. So the gr- bigger the tzaddik, the more successful the wicked of his time will be. Why? Because there has to be a counterbalance. So you're going to have someone like, like a Nimrod who's going to be very successful and he's going to have all... I'm not just talking about financial um, success. Meaning he's going to bring groups of people around him who will follow him. He has basically the whole world. He has only four kings and they go to war against the five armies. Lord of the Rings reference there. Um, uh, and they win. Why does, how could, how could the lesser, we're assuming that they were smaller, how could they have such a success? Because since there was an Avram who was having such success on, his, on the good side, there has to be a counterbalance, otherwise there wouldn't be any free will. If Avram would be having all this success, and Nimrod would be a failure, it wouldn't, people's choices weren't, wouldn't be balanced. Isn't it like we say that a tzaddik, the greater the tzaddik, the greater the Yitzhahara? So isn't it like an externalizing the Yitzhak? Right, right, that's exactly it. Now that's within him. But it's true, it's, that's a great way to put it. it. It's true also from without, that if we see someone who's... If everyone who did mitzvahs had immediate success, there'd be no free will. So you, you have to have, not just internally, which is what that's discussing, but externally, uh, that's, a, that's a good comparison, that, that's exactly it, that for other people, they also need to see the counterbalance. They need to see real success, real success on the part of wicked people, and that makes it hard to make the choice, because it's so much easier to cheat and steal than it is to be righteous. And so if it, but if there would be no success in cheating and stealing, people, people wouldn't be tempted. That's on the, on the choice side. That's not... When good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good, that's things that happen. No, but to that is people. why good things happen to bad people. Good things happen to bad people so that everyone has a, um, has a real free will to choose um, good or evil. But the good that's happening to bad people is not something they're earning. It's ha- it's being given to them freely. That might be true, but that's in order to provide choice for everyone else. Why do they all have to exist to come? How would you? 
explain or justify that it's discouraging for people who want to be more righteous because the more righteous, the more evil you bring into the world. So it's a little... It is. That's a, that's a good question. So basically, if I'm going to bring more righteousness into the world, am I not bringing more evil into the world? And the answer is you're not causing any evil to happen. What you are causing is success for evil people to counterbalance the choice. But you're not causing anything bad to happen. In other words, you have to say like this. If let's say someone's a tzaddik and, and he davens to Hashem that he should have health. So if people see that only righteous people are healthy, then someone who's not feeling well will... So what Hashem is going to do is going to give more years to some wicked person so that people go, oh, but that wicked person also lived long. And so I guess it's got nothing to do with the righteousness to give people the choice. So you're not going to cause anything evil to happen, but you will cause... Um, evil people to have success. And that's why we say, you say this every Shabbat, when you say, you say, I see the wicked people, they're flourishing like grass, and all the people are doing, but as we know, the next line says, that if you, that's in the end, they will be destroyed because of it. And they're actually, the wicked people are using up all their reward for any small thing they may have done in this world, they're using it all up in this world. So we, we, have, to, we have to understand that there's a reason for it. But in terms of free will, we ha- if, if only righteous people get healthy, then people would, um, there, w- there would be a loss of free will. What would be an example of spiritual... What would be an example of a spiritual reward? Well, no, he doesn't get the world to come. It's hard to describe because the reason I'm asking is it's spiritual. If you have a spiritual reward, it's hard for me to see them if you have a monetary reward. Well, what would be an example of a spiritual reward? If we're talking about world to come, he doesn't get world to come. There's no option for that. But that's not something that comes from free will. Free will is what I see. So if you mean spiritual as in, you know, will he have good feelings? Can he have, can he, uh, can someone who's evil find a really good best friend who now makes that person feel good, um, yeah, but that's still within the physical realm of reward. I think the, I think the question... Yeah, that's not going to happen. I think the question that's being asked is, can one receive spiritual reward in Alam Hazeh, or is all spiritual reward well, no, in depend- Well, it depends on what spiritual reward is. If spiritual reward is mitzvahs, um, which is what, what it sounded like you were saying now, no, the Russia is not going to get opportunity through his wickedness to do more mitzvahs. doesn't mean a wicked person can't do mitzvahs. There's plenty of opportunities for evil people to do mitzvahs, but that's not going to happen as a result of a reward because of this. And that's true. That's true. But but he, we, right. Well, we, right. He's not working with that concept at this point. Right. I was just to get a little concrete. Are we suggesting that the time of the Holocaust that was the greatest level of tzaddikim? Well, so it's hard with the Holocaust because there, there's ten thousand reasons why God could have brought the Holocaust, and anyone who claims to know it, that is that you could be guaranteed that they don't know. Right. I mean, there might be people who know, but all those people who know won't say that they know. But let's say let's say the possibility. The possibility could be that because there was so much growth 
in and spreading of um, the Torah and mitzvahs, then in theory that could cause a very powerful enemy to gain uh, power and success. Yeah, no, no, it is, it is. I think that question that... So I'm saying that that's a possibility. I'm not saying that that's what caused, right? It, it could be, you know, Gilgulim, and it could be, uh, it could be punishment for this. It depends if you read Rabbi Victor Miller's book or you read the Rabbi Vadi Yosef's lectures. Everyone's got, you know, these are bigger people. They've got theories on, on, on why these things happen. I'm just saying that there is a possibility. One of the options, according to this Fasemis, is that these, the evil succeed because... Um, in order to counterbalance the tzaddik. Why does it have to be a one-for-one ratio? Because the world is always balanced. But then uh, then you can never have tikkun oil. You could because um, you can, you can um, all that's counterbalanced is the challenges. God doesn't tell anyone to do evil. So if we can get the whole world to do good... Are you saying that's impossible? That he postulates that's an impossibility. No, no, no. no. Why? He's saying in, in order to, to, for there to be good, you need evil to counterbalance. You need the potential for evil. But doesn't have to, the evil doesn't have to happen. In other words, whatever success you give to the good, you have to give that level of success to the bad in order for people to have the choice. But then the choice, the whole world could choose good, and that would be okay. Yeah. Success doesn't mean he's going to harm somebody. You could just be super wealthy and a really terrible Yeah, guy. but that's still evil. That's still evil. It's evil, but it's not doing evil to somebody. <laughs> yeah, but still. That's not, okay. L'chein, kala masim... I'm sorry. So, so what he's saying is that Abraham had to realize that everything that's happening in the world is because of him. So everything that Avram is going to do, in, and that's why Hashem tells him, you should know that as Gadol, I'm going to make you into a great nation. It's not a reward. God's not taking away from the test. God, that's actually part of what his test is. I'm going to send you to Eretz Yisrael, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And every choice that you make is going to affect all the future generations. The test is bigger because of these promises. Right. That's why we call these avos. They're called our forefathers because their actions were not just for their generation. The reason why we mention them in our davening is because they are still our forefathers and all their actions make decisions for us. The fact that they accepted God upon themselves. Still stands for us. The reason why we're a- they are the reason why we are able to connect to Hashem on that level. And he adds to this. That those who bless you will be blessed. This line in the Sfasemis, I wish I could um, spend the next three hours just talking about what we're about to read in the next line. But let's all appreciate it. Shigam al kal that there's another way to sustain all of creation. Shigam harishayim, there are evil people in the world. There are people 
who won't make it to turn their ways after Hashem and follow the ways of Avraham. There are people in this world, everyone has free will, everyone could, but there's people who just won't make it. They won't be able to overcome their inclination, they're going to fail, and they're going to be lost in their sin. Afal became nevertheless. There's one thing which they could do. They should at least know and understand that Avraham is the tzaddik. And they should bless him. They too will be blessed. Amazing idea. That's, he's saying that after all the things, Avraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to influence the people. You're going to give them the future generations. But you know, there's two kinds of bad people. There's bad people who say, listen, I'm a bad person. That's a holy person. That's a righteous person. That's a great tzaddik. I wish I could be like him. I've been trying. I fail. And then there's evil people who, in order to justify their evil, try to corrupt the perspective of the world and claim that the righteous person is not righteous, that they, in fact, are righteous. So he says that this line, those who bless you will be blessed, means that even someone who's never going to be a tzaddik, if at least they can recognize that the tzaddik is the tzaddik, and they will bless him and say, yo, thank God there's people like him in the world so that no one else is like me, that is a source for blessing. That is his salvation. And that through that, everyone can survive through that level of Avraham Avinu. So he's saying that besides for his first explanation, which is that there's wicked people in the world to counterbalance, there are, there, but you don't want to be a wicked person who's surviving as the counterbalance of the good. There's another way. If at least, at least the wicked person recognizes that that person is the tzaddik, and in those days people did. The people of Ches, who were idol worshippers, they were pagans. But they said, you're a man of God to Avraham. At least that recognition that Avraham Avinu is a man of God, and they bless him, that itself is a source for blessing and sustenance. And you could see how this would come from a Hasidic Rebbe, who, amongst the Hasidim, they understand that, uh, that you have to have some great tzaddik in your life who you connect to, who guides you, who you talk to, who um, you, um, you know, um, watch, and you know, they watch the rabbi eat, they watch the rabbi dance, they watch the... Uh, what are they doing? This isn't God. No, of course not. But this is the tzaddik in my life who I'm going to look at for inspiration. So then why aren't you becoming like him? Make yourself the tzaddik. I, listen, we're doing our best, but at least if I recognize that this is God's emissary, that this is someone who's doing the work of God, and I, and I, I bless him, that itself brings down blessing to me. And now he's not saying this within the Hasidic context, he's saying this based on the Pasuk, but those who bless you will be blessed. What does that mean? What if Nimrod blesses Avraham? Does that mean Nimrod's going to be blessed? And the answer is yes. Because if at least we can recognize that the tzaddik is a tzaddik, that is itself the lowest layer. Big gift. So two questions. First of all, does that hold for every generation? So whoever's the tzaddik in your generation, if you bless them, you'll be blessed? Or is it only... Well, yeah, it's not just the tzaddik, but every tzaddik, this blessing was given to Avram Avinu and passed on to his descendants. So, so, so right. So, if if a if a wicked person can at least recognize and sort of bless and appreciate the tzaddik, 
And that's why you'll have, you know, this, um, you have the, there's many people in Eretz Yisrael today who are anti-religious. Then you've got people who are not religious. They're not religious and they have no interest in becoming religious and they have no, but then the, um, some great tzaddik walks by. You ever seen, uh, how many people came to Rabbi Vadia's uh, funeral? We're talking close to uh, a million people? What? A million plus? A, a million plus people. That's more than the number of religious people. Huh? Three, four hours. Why? Because they don't want to wait more than the taxi seven minutes. No, no. <laughs> but why did they all come? They all came because even if they have no interest in becoming religious, they recognize they didn't come from a political figure. I can prove it. Go look at any other political figure when they pass away. How many people they they come because even if they're never going to be religious and they have no plans, but they know that that was a tzaddik, that that was a tzaddik. and that itself is a source of blessing for them. That's vavarcha mavarcha. So the other part of the question is when we say elokei avraham elokei is that sufficient to be saying that we're blessing Avraham Yitzchak because we're blessing Hashem? Right, so it kind of is because we're, we're talking about Hashem, but because we're talking to Hashem as you are the God of my grandfather Avraham. So when you, when you say that, you are um, connecting to Hashem through Avraham. That's another way of, of doing that. So then any, like a Reformed Jew who says the Amida, let's say once in a while, then that they're also... With, with they're, intention, they're yes. then recognizing... Um, the tzaddik that, that's correct with intention if, they, if when they read it they think you know I'm a descendant of, of, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who were great people connected to God that is a source of blessing to them is it just like big tzaddikim or can you just uh, let's say someone gives a lot of money to build a Jewish school and you say you know you recognize that and you bless this person is that also so it, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to draw a line, you know, what, what that line is. But according to the way he's saying it, anyone who is a, has enough righteousness to be a source for blessing. So I don't know, I don't know what that, that measure is. But whatever that measure is, that would be, that would be enough. Okay, let's turn the page. Um, if you see on page 47 on the right side, Zacharti Lach Chesed Nuraich. I remember the kindness of your youth. Lechtech Acharai, where you followed me into the wilderness. Uh, this is a verse in Sefer Yirmiyahu, which we say this on Rosh Hashanah. It usually is understood as referring to the Jewish people following um, God into the wilderness. And that may have been the greatest act of the Jewish people ever, because it somehow survives um, all the other things. Yirmiyahu says, Hashem says, that before I'd given you anything, you, there was no food, there was nothing. I said, follow me into the wilderness. You knew there would be nothing there, but Eretz lo and you followed me. However, the Medrash in Parshish Lech Lecha reinterprets this verse as referring to Avraham Avinu. Who abandoned his father's household, 
וזה הכוח נשאר קיים בבני ישראל, he says, but it doesn't take away from the second interpretation, because as we know, מייסא אבוס סימן לבנם, whatever our forefathers did is a sign for us, and according to this, the way the Svas Emes is reading it, is the action of Avram Avinu to go without a plan and just to follow the word of Hashem is actually what gave us the inspiration and the ability to do it in future generations. This is the famous answer to another famous question, which is that we make such a big deal about the Akedah. Whenever we're stuck, the Gemara in Shabbos tells us that the, the, the Jewish people are in trouble, and f- f- when the Jewish people run out of all options, the last thing they say, well, what about the Akedah? Hashem says, fine. It's like our secret card that we have, and we, w- and we do this throughout Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Whenever we're stuck, we say, oh, and the Akedah, and then the, the, the court um, you know, basically gives up. <clears throat> so they ask, there have been meant too many Akedas since then. We know that during the days of the Crusades, where the soldiers, they weren't really soldiers, they were all just hooligans, but they were coming through the towns and there was a special mitzvah to kill as many Jews as you could on the way from England, Germany, France, wherever they were coming from, on the way to recapture the Holy Land. And there were many times where, many places where they knew that um, they would kill the parents and send the children off to a monastery, to a Christian orphanage, and those children will be lost forever. So there was a question, what to do? And in many cases, the parents took the lives of their children. And there's some discussion as to whether it seems that that was, (coughs) at least in that case, that that was the proper halacha. So the commentaries after this incident said, why are we making such a big deal about Avram Avinu? Here we have parents who actually followed through. And the answer to that that's given is the answer to another famous question. The, we know that Yocheved gave birth to Moshe Rabbeinu when she was 130 years old. It's a very simple calculation. She was born between the walls and, the, and Moshe was 80 when they left. They were there 210 years. She's 130. And the Eben Ezra says, that can't be. If it was such a miracle that a woman would have a baby at 130, then why doesn't the Torah make a bigger deal out of it? And the answer that they give is because it's only a miracle the first time. The first time Hashem does it for Sarah and Nenu, right? at that point, it is now in our utility belt. Once someone has done it, you can now channel down the previous miracle brought into the world. We saw this in the Oye of Yisrael, who says, when we say, Misha Anala Avram Avinu Bahara Moria, we are actually trying to do that. We're mentioning that miracle so that we can draw it down. We say, Misha Anala Avisenu Al Yamsuf, we're not just randomly reciting miracles. Each time we mention one of those miracles, we can channel down some of it. So once Sarah had done it, now Yochavet is simply accessing what Sarah had already done. In the same way, they say, those parents, once Avram Avinu accomplished the mitzvah of Akedah, he now gave us the strength and the fortitude to do something like that. That's why Avram Avinu is the big. And the same thing here, because Avram Avinu follows Hashem, that allows us the power to do so too. So was that okay? 
So it's a, it's a long halachic discussion. In those situations, it was the right thing to do. That does not mean it would be the right thing in other situations. There has to be sort of a mass thing, and uh, for the protection of thousands, and now they wouldn't do it. It's a prote- it's, it's it just seems like there's a possibility to go back and find those children, like they did after the Holocaust. There, there, there was no such possibility. Uh, after the Holocaust, there was there was the possibility, and that's what they were counting on. But uh, and even in the case of the uh, Holocaust, not all agreed that that would have been the right decision to put the kids in a, in a monastery. Especially since the Germans weren't okay with that. They they would have, if they would have seen the child, they would have killed him anyway. Even if the child was going to be raised as a non-Jew, right? In fact, they killed Jews who didn't believe themselves to be Jewish. Right? Okay, so he continues when it comes to the bris mila. The curse of the Medrash Tanchuma, the Tanchuma tells us that the mila made Avram Avinu perfect. Now, most people would have argued against Avram Avinu getting a bris mila by saying, what do you mean you're becoming perfect? You're actually taking away, you're cutting off a part of yourself. The idea is because Hashem wants you to remove the foreskin because that's actually a spiritually dead part of the body. Meaning that there is Hashem created a man with 248 limbs. One of the limbs has a part on, connected to it that is spiritually dead. And so when you have something that's spiritually dead attached, that actually makes the person missing. Again, when you've got something extra, which is in the way, that's the equivalent of having something missing. That's why the Rismila Nikritamim, you become perfect. And now that's all standard language. I think everyone's heard this explanation before that you become complete when you remove something that's extra, right? When you have a, it, what would it look like if you walked around with a jacket or a dress that had the tag still hanging from the sleeve? So you would say, "Well, I don't want to break my, I don't want to break it. It's going to ruin it." No, by having that extra thing hanging, you're actually making it look ugly, right? Especially if the if it says you got it on the ninety percent off sale. That's, <laughs> So he says, man is a small world. And here, this is a chiddush of the Svas Emes. Just like there is the foreskin, there is this blockage within man. He says, everything in your life will have something that needs to be removed from it. Everything. That's a deep idea. And he goes on to say, and I'll talk about it, although I'm running out of time, so I'm going to try to do this quickly. So he says, basically, everything in your life has some negative element to it. Whether it's a gift that you receive and the feelings are some of it is negative, whether it's a person who you're interacting with, there's some negative element to your interaction. So he says, think about anything that you have and you'll see that there's some negative element to it. And the bris milah, although it's referring to a person, uh, uh, there's always, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor for everything in your life which you could perfect by removing one thing. 
And then he says, Ubedoros Gamkein, the same is true for generations. Meaning, the world is 5,779 years old. But when the world was about 1,500 years old, that was the equivalent of the world being about eight days old. Hayedor Hamabul Ha'orla, the generation of the flood, was the foreskin, so to speak. They had to be destroyed. And then from that came Noah, who was the perfect tzaddik, but he was still a child. Avram Avinu, so to speak, is like the bar mitzvah of the, in terms of generations of the world. He went from darkness to light. Okay, without looking into the rest. I just, I think it's a fascinating concept, and we'll leave it at this, is that he's learning that even within the world, God created, um, let's say there's 200 generations, which spans the uh, 6,000 years, or 250, or 300, depending on how you count. So one of those is going to be so negative that it has to be completely removed. And that's going to be the Dora Mabel. And so he's learning that everything that you have, and uh, this is an interesting thing to think about, that there's something in it that needs to be adjusted. And so anything that you have, whether it's a gift that you have given to you by God, whether it's a person in your life, everyone's got everything has something which you need to make some adjustment to. You should never take anything, according to him, and accept it at, as is without making some small adjustment within you or within it in order to make it uh, properly ready. So may we merit that the, all the great things that Avram Avinu did. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.